Welcome to Mogul Talk with Darcel Lari, where success is just a byproduct of who we are. It's your girl, your host, Darcel, where every week I'll be bringing you a Mogul Minute of inspiration, new topics, and surprise guests. Stay tuned. It's time for your Mogul Minute of inspiration. Can I get a drum roll, please? Today's Mogul Minute of Inspiration is pain can birth your purpose. Let me say that again. Pain can birth your purpose. Now, why would you say that, Darcel? No one wants to go through pain. No one wants to go through setbacks. No one wants to go through trials and tribulations. But what I can say is that every time I've experienced pain, every time I've experienced something that was hard for me, a difficult season... I can tell you that every time I came out of that season, I was a better version of myself. Why? Because I processed my pain, I went through my pain, and I came out on the other side a better version of myself. And yes, it was very hurtful. Yes, it was very challenging. But I can tell you, when you go through things and you really take the time to self-reflect and really take the time to maybe go to therapy or you know talk to some friends and really process what you're going through... I can tell you, you will be a better version and a healthier version of yourself. And a lot of times, pain usually leads people to their purpose. For me, it was writing a book, taking the pain that I was going through and actually decided to write my own very, you know, to write my own book. And for some people, it's maybe starting that business. For other people, it may put them in a different direction in their career. Whatever it is, know that your pain does not happen by mistake. Yes, it hurts. We're not taking, we're not taking away the valid feelings that come along with pain, but know that it can make you, uh, take you one step closer to your purpose. So overcome, know that you can make it through because I know there's a better version of you in there somewhere. And that was your mogul minute of inspiration. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Mogul Talk with Darcel Lari. I am so excited that you joined us today because I have on the line Ebony K. English here to talk about all the amazing things that she has and has going on. So I'm just super excited to have her on the line. Say hi, Ebony. Hello, hello, hello. So we have so much to talk about tonight because, girl, you are booked and busy and blessed. OK, so we Absolutely. have so much to talk about. Um, tell us, you know, a little bit about who you are, what you do. Tell us a little bit about yourself. OK, I'm Ebony K. English. Like as Darcel said, I'm born and raised in cornbread fed. I have to tell people that I'm cornbread fed. I know that's right. <laughs> In Columbia, South Carolina, I'm a true Southern girl. Um, I'm a mother, first and foremost, a mother that loves baseball. I'm a baseball mom. And I'm an author, a speaker, and by purpose, I am a recovery coach that assists women in transitioning from substance abuse to women of substance. And it is probably the most amazing part of my life being able to help other women come through the things that they've been through in their past, just kind of ending their past, healing those wounds and just showing up in the world as the women that they were created to be. Yes. And you also have a book called Saved, Sober and Sitting Pretty. So can you tell us a little bit about that and what was your journey with writing the book? 
Yes, Save Sober and Sitting Pretty is my baby. And it's so funny because I never, it was never in my plans to actually write a book. But when I initially shared my story um, of straight out of alcoholism, I did a photo shoot and I posted the pictures on social media and the response was so overwhelming. And people were like, oh my God, I had no idea that you was going through that. You never looked like the things that you were dealing with. And I wrote the book because the more that I saw people were attracted to my story, I felt like I needed to tell them the whole story. So Sage Sober and Sitting Pretty embodies my life from childhood to where I currently am now in my sobriety. The earliest story I share was um, me being a nine-year-old little girl coming home off the school bus and actually standing outside the apartment saying that all of our furniture and things were on the porch and not knowing at the moment the you know correct terminology but we had been evicted and I share that because that was the moment that I actually made the decision as a child how responsible I was going to be as an adult mm-hmm. um, so it goes for, as far as back as nine years old but I share it because I didn't want people to think I just woke up this confident person or I woke up this you know able to thrive in sobriety I wanted people to know where I came from so it's save so much sitting pretty it's just everything I put my heart into it and some people that kind of know me it was like girl you put it all out there I did because I want I wanted people to be able to relate to the things that I shared it was it's kind of written like a homegirl conversation like you can tell that it's written from a standpoint to say girl I understand I get it me too you know mm-hmm. so, I love um, that so that's where I wrote from and the writing process it was it was different. It was different. And what a lot of people don't know is I wrote everything between the hours of 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. When the world is seemingly quiet, mm-hmm. I would be up. Yep, yep. I would be up in the middle of the night laying in my living room on the floor <laughs> writing. Um, and the writing process was very healing for me as well because it forced me to have those hard conversations that I had been avoiding all of my life. I had to go back and have conversations with my parents. I had to go have conversations with other people and just kind of let them know, like, you're a huge part of my story, and I can't tell my story authentically without mentioning some things. So it was just kind of, you know, to give them a heads up. Well, one, um, it's so funny that writing a book, I know when I wrote my book, I had, I got, uh, I always share this story about um, God waking me up at 3 a.m. to uh, write a book. So the fact that you said like 4 or 5 a.m., I'm like, yes, I understand. And that's, I don't know why that's like the designated time to write a book, yeah. to write a book. But I can totally relate as an author as well and as a writer. So I love um, just your story. And, you know, one, I love the fact that you chose to be transparent. I think sometimes people, you know, write books and, you know, with tips and tricks and all those types of things, but they don't never give their full authentic story. And the fact that you wanted to make sure that you were authentically true to who you were and what your upbringing was. How was that conversation when you said you had to kind of talk to your grandma and your aunt? and say, hey, you're a part of this story. So I have to, you know, I want to give you a heads up about writing about my experiences that also involve you. How did that go over? Well, you know, a large part of it was, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, you know? <laughs> it, wasn't, 
<laughs> they didn't really go in depth about, you know, as far as responding to me like, hey, I'm writing a book. It was, it was literally like, okay, okay. But what I will tell you, the finished product, everybody's read. Um, and the feedback from them was actually pretty positive. Like my dad, for example, he told me, he said, you know, I really hate that I had to learn you through your book, but I do believe that you're in this world to write. Mm. He said, I believe that you were born to write because it's so, it's so colorful. And I wrote the way that I like to read. And I'm the type of person, if you don't get me in the first five pages, we, we, oh, we're not going right. to be able to do this. You know, <laughs> we're not going to be able to do this. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like I'm an only child. Like I have a gazillion thoughts at a time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if you don't get me in the first five pages, it's a wrap. And I kind of, <laughs> I wrote that same way because I wanted to attract the, the reader immediately, you know? So. Yes. I love that. Um, I think me and you share that similar style. Like, I wrote my book uh, conversational as well. So I had to grasp people and, I, and I'm with you on that. I You gave them five pages. I give people like two pages. If I, if I don't get it in the first two pages, then I'm, it's kind of a wrap. So you give them a little more leeway than I do, which is good. Yeah, I give them at least five. I give them at least five. <laughs> so... Let's talk about just uh, your journey to sobriety. I know the title of your book is Save Sober and Sit and Pray. Tell us one about the title and what does that mean? And then your journey to sobriety. Okay, Save Sober and Sitting Pretty for me, I think a lot of people when they hear the word sober, they automatically assume it's a stain from alcohol. But Mm -hmm. sober is a state of mind. It's a mindset, you know, and the time of writing it, not only did it describe my sobriety or abstaining from alcohol, it also described the mindset that I worked hard for to heal for. So I think that it was a very, very strong and descriptive word. Um, Sitting pretty, although it says sitting pretty, but to me that was owning my power. It was taking my power back from those things that, you know, that held me bound in my past. So... No, I love it. The the title is strong and it's powerful and it's definitely very catchy. And I love the fact that you talk about sober, not just being um, uh, being sober from an actual substance, but actually sober minded. So I love that you talk about that as well. Yes, yes, yes. And how I, because it, that wasn't even the title of the book initially. I can't even remember what the first title was, but I just kept dreaming, saved, so been sitting pretty. And initially I was using it as a hashtag. And people were like, mm-hmm. oh, that's so pretty. It was, you know, the hashtag was catching on. But I was like, no, I don't want to title my book that, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I just kept dreaming because I'm a dreamer. God handles me with dreams. And... Mm-hmm. It was just like, that was the only answer. Save Sober and Sitting Pretty was, that was it. That was the only thing that I could have titled my first book. So I went with it. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But a little bit about my journey and how I arrived to being Save Sober and Sitting Pretty, you know, just going back to being a fatherless daughter. Um, Being a fatherless daughter growing up, it was, it took a toll on me because I always found myself seeking attention and, you know, needing to be validated externally because I just always felt like if I wasn't good enough for my daddy to stay around, then I wasn't good enough for anything or anyone. So growing up, I always did things that I felt like would get me attention. I started having sexual intercourse at the age of 14 because I was, you know, when 
you grow up without your father, you're always looking for your daddy somewhere. You're always looking for someone of the opposite sex to tell you that you're beautiful. You want someone to tell you that you're worthy. And that's just one of the, the things that we, I feel like we can't escape as a father of the story. And I hate to say it like that, but we all have that in common. You know, mm-hmm. we, we need someone to tell us that we're good enough. So I, I was doing that all through grade school. By the time I got to high school, I was starting to fail and talk back to teachers and cut school. And I failed the ninth grade, not once, but twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt, I failed the ninth grade twice. And, um, Thank goodness for a good goddess counselor because she got me out of high school on time, but I ended up leaving high school with less than, yes, yes, I'm looking for her too. I'm looking for her. Her name is Kenya Johnson. I need to thank her. Um, And I, I was just always that girl. Like I never really fit in anywhere, but I always wanted attention. So I did whatever it was. Um, For people to say, hey, look at Ebony. And it was really all coming from a very, it was coming from a place of lacking self-worth. Um, now that I look back at it, it, it was deep-rooted. I left high school with less than a 2.0. I graduated with 1.96 and with absolutely no plans for the future. And I remember my best friend graduated the year after me, and she came to my house, and she was like, I'm going to go to Benedict. I said, well, I guess I'm going to Benedict, too. <laughs> I guess I'm going to Benedict too, but however, I didn't I didn't know that you need at least a 2.0 to be accepted to this particular college, mm-hmm. but they ended up accepting me, giving me a second chance. I like to call it my second chance, but however, I still blew that because I didn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know the first thing about college. I didn't know the first thing about, you know, having to pay tuition. And so when I got there, I just blew it, like hanging out and going being, because I'm a social butterfly, I talk to people all the time. Like, I'll talk to anybody I feel like is going to talk back to me. Um, so I would just be around campus, no plans, start to skip out on class. And I started to, you know, I was into guys. That was my thing. And I remember one night going to a fraternity party. Okay. And I know, I know. So here I am. Yeah, yes, ma'am. So here I am, 19. I'm so insecure. I have an armful of books and another armful of lifelong insecurities, resentment, you know, just a whole lot of anger bottled up inside of me. And I get to this party and I have my first drink of alcohol. And I literally remember like... This is it, you know, this is it. And it wasn't anything as far as like this tastes good. I like the feeling that I got from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I immediately fell in love with the, uh, the feeling of being intoxicated. It numbed everything. Even for that moment, I didn't have to deal with my thoughts or my feelings. So from that day forward, wherever the alcohol was, I was too. And I was 19 years old, so I wasn't old enough to actually purchase alcohol. And even if I was old enough, I was a kid that never had any money. So, <laughs> so I, but you know, when you're chasing a feeling, you'll find a way to get it. Yeah. Um, so I was always, you know, chasing alcohol and that was just my pattern for, for years. I, that was 19. I got pregnant with my son at the age of 22 and I dropped out of school 
And that, that was something else that kind of added on to my worthlessness, not feeling good enough, not feeling as though the bottom is where my life will always be. So I continued to drink for many, many years. And now, and the thing about alcohol is the fact that everybody is doing it. Yeah. You never really feel like the one that has the problem, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because everybody's doing it. When you look around, you're like, okay, well, everybody's taking shots. Everybody's drinking, but you know, deep down inside, like you don't, you know that you're drinking, but there's a reason why you're over consuming the way that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the midst of that, you're not really trying to put the pieces together. You're just trying to be numb. You're just trying to get rid of this pain. You're trying to get rid of these thoughts. You're trying to get rid of these feelings. You're not really thinking about, you know, the deep stuff. So I literally find myself being at family events. We'll all take a shot together. Then I'll pour up some more shots. And by the end of the night, I'm in the corner holding hands because I wasn't an angry drunk. I was a, I love you so much drunk. (laughs) Like I would be in the (laughs) corner. I'm holding somebody's hand, caressing their face. You know, just that's, that's the type of drunk I was. Um, And that went on for about, that was from 19 to 25. And then at 25, I remember my 25th birthday, I sat on the couch and I cried for hours because I felt like my life was nothing. Like I... Mm -hmm. I wasn't worth anything. So that's when I started consuming like three or four bottles of wine a night at home by myself. Mm -hmm. And no one knew about that. Um, Because I I somehow told myself, no one knows it's not really a problem. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You know, I I was going to say I can thus far, and I'm going to definitely let you continue but I can relate to predominantly your almost your entire story. And I'm sure our listeners uh, can, too. One, I just thank you so much for your transparency and a couple of key points. So I don't forget. I love the fact that you talked to, you're talking about self-worth for me personally. It wasn't that my father wasn't there uh, physically. It was that he was not there emotionally for us girls to have your father in your life because it does have effects and it does. And and that's where your self-worth eventually starts to um, derive from, you know, am I good enough and the attention and all of those different types of things. And I love the fact that you mentioned that because I was just like, yes, I can relate. And I started, you know, at a frat party uh, too. And so it's so interesting, but God is so good and he is so mighty. And, you know, I spent a lot of my 20s drinking and being drunk but you know I love that the resilience and the amazing testimony that comes out from a story such as yours like I said I started to consume three and four bottles of wine a night at that point I have a two-year-old that's so you know two-year-olds are solely dependent on you you Mm -hmm. have to feed them you have to watch them two-year-olds are the ones that you at at the most at at, don't touch that at at for that you know Mm -hmm. um and he was solely dependent upon me and yet I couldn't even, I could barely take care of myself, you know, Mm -hmm, I could barely mm -hmm. take care of 
myself and here I was um, his dad wasn't in the home I'm doing this all alone I don't really know how to be a mother because my example of a mother wasn't really that great either you know so that that's something else that I was beating myself up about at that time and it just drinking and drinking and drowning my my thoughts and my feelings and my pain in the alcohol bottle continued on um and I remember that day when I was sitting on the couch crying a commercial from Remington College came on and I said you know what I've always wanted to be a part of the helping field so I'm going to apply to be a medical assistant and I was accepted into that program and the the student at Remington College versus Benedict College was a totally different person. Like, I was a straight-A student. I was that model student. I was actually the, nice. the student, like, you know, teachers would be like, ask Ebony. Ebony always gets it right. And I'm like, who do y'all see? Because I still wasn't feeling as though I was good enough. Mm-hmm. So I remember all the pressure of being that model student and coming home one night, I went to Walmart and I bought about three bottles of this nasty wine. It's called Lucky Duck. It's like $3.97. <laughs> and it is disgusting, but it gets uh-huh. the job done. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. it gets the job done. And I chugged that bottle of wine and I went to sleep and I remember going to my eight o'clock class the next morning and alcohol, the smell of it was coming out of my pores. Mm-hmm. And one of those teachers that believed in me so much she said she said good morning Ebony are you okay and I said to her no I'm drunk and this is who I am and yeah yeah and this is who I am and she just kind of looked at me and she pulled me outside and she had a very very personal conversation and she shared with me her addiction to crack Wow. And that was a very, that was one of those moments I'll never, ever forget. It wasn't strong enough for me to stop drinking, but I'll never forget that moment. Yeah. Um, because alcohol had taken over me so bad. It's just like, girl, you around here making these A's, you're making A's in the morning. By night, you literally don't even know your name, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how I went to school that morning because I did for some reason, I'm like, I'm not a straight A student. I'm an alcoholic. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, so that was that moment. It was just little moments like that where I literally would find myself. I'm just drowning in alcohol. My grandmother would beg me, Ebony, please stop drinking and driving. Ebony, please stop drinking. Just call me when you get home. I would never call her. I would, you know, I would, and I had this thing. I would drive drunk when I, I would get on the highway, roll the windows down, turn the music up, straight 10 and 2 on the highway. And it made um, me feel so powerful because I'd be like, look at me. Alcohol's not controlling me. I got this. I'm driving. Mm-hmm. And to impress myself and to add a little decoration on top, I'll get home and I'll back my car in. Well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm in there. My- yeah, that was, girl, how about those nights you wake up, those mornings you wake up and you look outside like my car is here. I'm home. Nobody's here. How in the world did I get here last night? Oh, you know? my gosh. Yes. Those nights that I was like, how did I even get home? And that's when I'm like, girl, like, yeah. I would really have to have a come to Jesus moment with myself. Like, yeah. and then, you know, the the crazy thing is when I used to drink very heavily, um, 
I would tell, and I'm pretty sure uh, we all can relate to this. I will always beg to God, please just, because uh, I will always be hungover and you have a pounding headache or you're vomiting or something. And, and I'm like, God, if you just make me feel better, I'll never do this ever again. And literally, this, as soon as I feel good, back to myself, that night, I'm back to getting drunk again. It was crazy, crazy. Yeah. And alcohol is so powerful. It is mm-hmm. so powerful. And again, I say what makes it, that makes it so dangerous is everybody's doing it. Alcohol is literally that one drug that people look at you like you're crazy when you say you don't use it. Like, what do you mean you don't drink? Mm-hmm. Like something wrong with you, you know, and right. or they'll ask you, are you pregnant? Are you this? Or, no, I just don't want to do it, you know? Right. And so, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> so, it yes. That's just that. Like I told you, if I, I, if I told you I don't do heroin, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't but I, I laugh about that now, but I used to be one of those people. I remember mm-hmm. when somebody told me she didn't drink, I was like, Why do you, what do you mean you don't drink? What do you do? Like, mm-hmm. like what do you do for fun? Like, like if yeah, only drinking is the fun, is something fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was definitely one of those people. I would give you a thought out, like, is there anything else to do in this world with some shake, you know? So I get it. <laughs> I definitely get it. But it's still strange that people side eye you when you say you don't drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that moment, I was just, you know, I really didn't know what I was doing with my son. I was just winging it and trying my best to make things look good. After that, I graduated from Remington with a 3.96. Nice. Now I'm starting. Thank you. Thank you. So I even spoke at the graduation. So I literally went from a college dropout mm-hmm. to valedictorian, valedictorian in my class. Like, how does work? Look at <laughs> How does this work? And that's the thing. Like, I always knew that I was intelligent, but that's not the side that I wanted people to see of me because that wasn't the part that was going to get me the attention. Playing the victim mm-hmm. is what people was going to pay attention to. And I think that's where we get comfortable being the victim. Somebody always shows up for the victim. Yes. I think also there's a couple, there's a bunch of things um, that you're saying you're dropping so many just gems and transparency that I'm sure that everyone who's listening will just be like nodding their head like, yep, been there, yep, been there. But just the journey to back then and to where you are now, part of what you, um, your part of your title is saved, sober and sitting pretty. Can you talk about the saved part and where I guess God met you and said, you have to change your life and you have to get it to get it to where um, you're operating in, in the purpose that he has for you, because it's a key thing that you mentioned that you didn't see yourself, you know, because obviously, you know, sometimes people can see all the potential in us. People can see who we are and who we're meant to be. But if we don't see that for ourselves, and that's why it's so important to know our identity. And, you know, obviously our identity is in Christ when you're saved. And, you know, and I just love hearing you mention that several times of just people kept on saying, oh, you're this and you're that. Or go to Ebony. She's smart. She's this. Right. And mm-hmm. then going from, like you said, dropout to valedictorian and you being that go to person that everyone is shining that light on. Can you talk about a little bit 
where that saved comes in and that journey as well. So in October, like I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow Mm -hmm. up in the church. I always, you know, it was, I always heard terms like pray about it. We would go to church on Easter Sundays, uh, Mother's Mm -hmm. Day maybe, um, those Sundays, you know, the three Sundays that everybody show about. Mm -hmm. The three major holidays. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Those Sundays were the Sundays that we would go to church and it was always pray about it, say your grace, but it was, I was like, I I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't really know what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as I got older, I knew it was, I knew the higher power, but it was like, okay, I know, I'm at, I know I'm not at this alone, but I still didn't have relationship. You know, I didn't have a mm-hmm. relationship with God, a personal relationship with God. And I started to go, I started going to this church in October of 2014 and I was saved on October 13, 2014. Still really didn't know what that meant. You know, it was mm-hmm. just, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how the pastor be like, anybody want to get to know Jesus? I'm like, Sure, just kind of raising my hand, kind of, you know, <laughs> you know. So that's actually my favorite day without. Still, like I said, I didn't have the relationship. So just going back to my drinking when things, it was like the age of 30. No, I lied. I was saved October 13, 2012. Okay, 2012, I'm sorry. So in October 2014, no, like in June or July of 2014, I started to isolate myself. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but I have to have a No, you're good. Business. You're good. <laughs> okay. So in June, of, in, no, in April of 2014, I had a boyfriend and I broke up with my boyfriend. And it was something in breaking up with him allowed me to see that I was really trying to become who I was supposed to be because I've never broken up with anyone. I was dependent. I always needed a man in my face because that's where my validation came from, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember breaking up with him. I said, you know, you're a great guy. I don't want to ruin you. You're not my husband. I'm not your wife. Let's go out separate ways. And wow. Yeah, I didn't really know how to break up with anybody, but I felt like I did a great job. I think that was great. Like, I'm commending you, definitely. Like, that takes some guts to be able to say that. So that's awesome. Yeah, so I broke up with him. I've never seen him again. We And that was four, five years ago, and I've never seen him again. That was so strange. We're still in the same city, but I've never seen him again. But I broke up with him, and I was like, okay, maybe we can do what's next, Lord. Like, what are we doing now? What are we doing now? So I started to kind of, I went and got a job and I said, I'm going to be consistent in a job because that was another issue. Like I would quit a job. I didn't care. Like I don't, you know, I would quit a job. So in October, in, in July of October, I started to isolate myself from my family because I was still drinking very, very heavy. At this point, I was falling into depression. I was feeling like, you know, I was just attending my own self-pity party. Mm-hmm. And one of my aunts called me and she said, um, she said, what's going on with you? And I said, nothing. Why? And she said, because you haven't been coming around. And I told her, I said, well, I don't come around because I don't feel like anybody understands me. And she said, well, we're your family and we love you. And I said, yeah, you guys still don't understand me. And she started to cry. She said, Ebony, you know what? I really don't know how to help you this time. And what was so powerful about her statement was not so much the statement, but who it was coming from, because she had 
always, she was one of those people that had always been in my corner. And for her to say she didn't know how to help me made me to realize that nobody else was coming to rescue me. Wow. Nobody was coming to rescue me. So that was going into July. I just kept drinking. I kept drinking. I kept drinking up until October of 2014. My daddy came back in my life. So you see how God is kind of just gradually putting these pieces back together. He's gradually putting these pieces back together. My dad came back into my life. He and I were able to have the hard conversations that we hadn't had. Um, And it was so strange how I felt like I never mattered to him. And my first cousins that I was meeting them too, they would ask them questions about me. And before I could answer, he would answer them too. And I would literally like catch myself from crying because I'm like, man, he does know about me. But the situation that I was born into didn't really allow him to be present for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And my dad was actually, you know, I I remember going to meet him for the first time and I had to have, I I went went to the store about Bud Light. That's the only thing I can get my hands on because at this point I'm like, how am I going to have this conversation with this strange man? I Mm -hmm. need my liquid courage. Uh And so I I had my Bud Light and I'm I'm talking to him and I offer him a drink and he said, I don't drink. Wow. And it was another one of those moments like, what do you mean you don't drink? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said he had been sober for 10 years. And I was like, wow, okay, okay. So fast forward a little more to December of 2015. Uh, 2014, my mom and my dad, we brought in 2015 together in church for the first time in my life. There I was, 30 years old, with my mom Beautiful. and my dad in the same room for the first time. Wow. That's amazing. Yep. And I, and I I felt like a 10-year-old little girl in the middle of them. My Mm -hmm. dad was to my right, and my mom was to my left. And I was like, here I am. I'm 30 years old, and I'm in the room with my parents for the first time, yet this is speaking to the broken little girl inside of me. Mm -hmm. And I think we often forget about that broken little girl inside of us. Or that broken little boy inside of us. Like, Mm -hmm. she's there. Like, we're only getting older, but we have to heal her. We have to heal her first. Absolutely. So, so that was happening. I was like, okay, okay, God, okay, okay. So now <laughs> all of this is happening, but we still have the drinking. We still have the drinking. That's the main thing. We still have this problem. We still have this going on. So in January of 2015, I went to support one of my friends at a concert of his, and then I went to support one of my friends at a concert of his. And after the concert, I went and picked my son up. I brought him home. I didn't know whether he had eaten or not. I just knew I had to get home because, you know, at this point I'm under the influence because it was the same old situation, taking shots of tequila, Mm -hmm. Um, getting him home. And he's like, I'm hungry. And I'm like, you're hungry. So I I had to call a friend like, hey, could you please bring Jalen two cheeseburgers? I'll send him downstairs because at that point I didn't have enough sense to be responsible. I Mm -hmm. couldn't get back in the car. I barely made it home, you know. Mm -hmm. I barely made it home. Jalen went to get the cheeseburgers and we went to sleep the next night. I mean, we went to sleep that night and the next morning is when everything happened. I woke up and he was crying, standing beside my bed. And when I looked at him, I said, Jalen, I said, are you okay? And he said, mommy, were you sick last night? And I said, no, baby, why? And as I went to console him, I stepped in my vomit. It was vomit all over the floor. Mm. And I hugged him and I said, oh my God, I have no idea how I'm going to stop drinking, but enough is enough and it has to stop now. Wow. 
And that, that, because I believe what doesn't heal from us is what we pass down to our children. Absolutely. And if I wasn't strong enough to carry the mess that I had going on, I knew my seven-year-old son couldn't carry that mess. Yeah. And if I don't pride myself in anything, I pride myself in the mother that I am. I can't protect him from everything, but the, the childhood memories that I can create around him, I'm going to make sure that they're positive. Yes. So that was literally the moment where... I made the decision that I have to stop drinking because I've had tons of hangovers, tons of blackouts, driven drunk more times than I would like to admit. But this, this was the first time my son was impacted. Mm-hmm. And That's... I said, I said, God, I don't know how. I don't even know if it's possible. But this is it. This is it. And that was January 23rd, 2015. And I haven't had a drink since. Amen. Amen. So that it's, was 50 months ago. <laughs> yes. And that is an amazing, I mean, honestly, an amazing testimony. One, just how God brought your family full circle. Like where you said you were able to celebrate one <clears throat> New Year's together with your mom and your dad and knowing that throughout your life you craved that attention and that void, you know, of not having your dad there and your dad present at that time. And then all to come full circle for one, for you to celebrate that amazing holiday together. And then two, then God shows you your other part of your family, which is your son. And knowing that now it's time to make that whole too. And that is, I mean, when God does something, we never know how, which way he's going to do it. But, you know, that is, that's just an amazing story. Thank you. To God be the glory. It was yes. just like... Wow. Wow. And you know, the thing about it, like when we drink in front of our children, we just kind of feel like they didn't understand. But as he got older, he started to share little pieces with me. And he told me one time, he said, you know, I would see the bottles. I just thought you really liked cranberry juice. Oh, wow. And he said, I remember when you start, he said, I remember when I didn't see the bottles anymore. And I said to myself, she must not like cranberry juice anymore. (laughs) And I was like, wow. Kids are so smart. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing. Like kids are so, they pay so much attention to us. They're sponges. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. sponges. And it just kind of goes back to what doesn't heal from us. We pass down to our children. And I want parents to really, really understand that just because somebody labeled it a generational curse, just because somebody gave it a name doesn't mean that you have to deal with that. Like you can be the person in your family to say, it's going to end here. Absolutely. And I think that's really something that I learned um, that I really focused on last year. And what are we in now? 2019. So 2018 mm-hmm. was my year of really like this ends here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And from for, you know, there's different types of things that we can go through in life. And for you. Uh, and for me, it definitely was alcohol was one of my things, but then also getting in unhealthy relationships was another thing for me. And last year, um, the end of 2017 into 2018 is when I said, okay, enough is enough. And because I've seen not only my mom go through it, you know, also my grandmother went through it, aunts went through it. And so it's interesting when, you know, God gets into your life and it may not happen 
overnight. Like when you said, you know, I you agreed to get saved. You just kind of raised your hand and said, OK, I guess I'll do it. And, you know, sometimes when people get saved, they think that there's going to always be this instant change that, you know, um, in your life. And for some people, they can have that Paul and Damascus Road experience where they just stop everything and, you know, they just follow. They pick up their cross and follow Christ. But then for the rest of us, you know, God has to be, you know, one of the key things where it says love is patient in first Corinthians um, chapter 13, where it says love is patient. It's really just like that's truly the definition of who God is to us, because he allows us to go through our own cycles. But then when enough is enough and he's like, OK, you need to, to learn this lesson and I need something to I need this red flag to kind of wave in front of you so you can stop. And so I can now use you, you know, to glorify him on this earth. Um, it's just a beautiful thing. And just hearing your story, I know there's so many other stories out there of people who probably have similar experiences or different experiences. But I mean, I am so encouraged of just how God um, just moved in your life. Absolutely. He, he's so intentional. He's so mm-hmm. intentional. And because the thing that that brought my dad back into my life was the passing of his mother. Right. Wow. And I remember when I first went to the house, he said, you know, God took my mother, but he gave me back my daughter. And that's I couldn't so beautiful. Act, so that's the reason why I could not be hurt right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was just so, yeah, he he's just so intentional. He's so intentional. And we'll find ourselves being so uncomfortable, like, okay, God, this ain't, this, this ain't going to work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. This ain't going to work, but he always finds a way to supply comfort. And I think we have to continue to ask him, okay, well, God, what is this here to teach me? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, sometimes yeah. We, yeah, we yeah, have, we have, have, to, have to, to ask that, that question. What is this experience here to teach me? Like, what am I supposed to learn from this? Why does this keep showing up? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that just comes with the relationship. Absolutely. It comes with the relationship with God. Like, all right, all right now, what we doing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and the beauty well, of we, when you have relationship with God and not just um, know that he is God, but actually say, no, I like how the song goes. I'm a friend of God. Like when you, when you guys are actually friends and you mm-hmm. have relationship and you know who he is and the power, um, that is behind who he is, that makes you really want to be obedient to his will and his way for your life. And I think, you know, for me and in, in my personal journey, you know, I've been saved for, to me, I would say my whole life, but deliverance is a whole nother thing. You know, like like you were saying, knowing God and know that God exists and know that Jesus died for us. That's one thing. But actually having relationship, you know, I've, I think I've had moments where I've, you know, started a relationship. But I would say within the past two years is where I really got that relationship back and going full steam ahead. And I think that's where you really want to honor God with your life and with what he's done for you. And you know that it ain't nothing but God that got me out of that mess. And if I don't want to go back, I'm going to stay right here that's right. in God's will. So 
that's the key. Like you were saying is relationship. I really want our listeners to know if you need to make a change in your life, you do not have to wait until tomorrow. You can make that choice today and definitely make sure that you go seek professional help. So that way you're not doing it by yourself, but know that you can make that change today. And Ebony, what are some other things that they can also do from day to day? I would say the first thing, it stems from a decision. I believe that every single thing stems from a decision. It's deciding to do something different. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody won't have that moment where their children are walking into the room. But I believe if you're honest with yourself and you really sit down and figure out why you're drinking so much, then you can actually make the decision to actually stop drinking. And I tell people all the time, like sobriety is literally a daily decision. Even 50 months later for me, it's a daily decision. In the beginning, it's hourly. It's hourly because the moment that you decide I'm not going to drink anymore, it's like, oh, yeah, life is really going to hit. So don't expect yeah. life to stop hitting. Because all because you can think you, about you, is drinking at yeah, that point. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> all you can think about is drinking. And that, too, like you don't want to you don't want to stop drinking and then you sit around thinking about alcohol. Like, no, you have to fill that void with something. You have to find healthy behaviors. With me, I stopped drinking and I turned to books. I literally read like a book in two days now. Um, And I think the more that you start to learn about yourself and what you start to learn about alcohol, it gets a little easier to pull away. Um, Mm -hmm. And you also want, and like you said, you also want to seek professional help. There are many pathways into recovery. I'm I'm my AKA, Lord, not AKA. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but AA, you know, um, many organizations offer different programs. Um, And also, you want to start seeking people that are living the sober life. Because the thing that helped me the most was like, oh, it is possible for people to stop drinking for months and years at a time, you know? Mm -hmm. So you want to attach yourself to those people. You want to attach yourself to those people that are currently where you want to be. They are where you want to be, but they also come from where you are, you know? Yes. Um... And then what really helped me, and that was just come, just kind of doing some of the inner work, was I wrote a letter to myself. I wrote a letter to Ebony, to myself, five years out, and I literally just let the pen flow, the woman that I want to become. And I started aligning my decisions with who I wanted to be. And anything that did not align with that woman that I script on that paper, I automatically dismissed the decision. Yes. And you also want to take a moment to identify your triggers. Your triggers is who makes you want to drink, what type of environments make you want to drink, what feelings make you want to drink, um, and just everything. You also want to monitor what you're taking in from the outside world, too, because the outside world is definitely pushing alcohol use. Um the marketing, they're opening their marketing yes. game. <laughs> that, that means your timeline on your social mm-hmm. media. If you know that everyone on your timeline is just showing their Friday night, their Saturday night, and they're, you know, drinking and wilding out, that may, you may need to hit the unfollow button. It sounds yeah, like. So making sure yeah. that every part of your life 
is um, like you were saying, just making sure that community and what your visual things you're hearing, if there's even songs that, you mm-hmm. know, is talking about popping bottles, you may not want to listen to that because if that's going to be a trigger, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think the most important thing is to understand that you do not have to worry about tomorrow. Get through mm. today. Yes. That's good. Get through today and then you get through tomorrow and then the next day. Like, don't worry about, well, what if I relapse next Monday? No, no, no. Let's worry about this Monday. Mm-hmm. Let's worry mm-hmm. about April 1st. We can't worry mm-hmm. about April 8th right now. We don't mm-hmm. We don't have the mental capacity because for so long we've trained ourselves to believe that we need alcohol to function. So now we have to get in the process of reprogramming our minds to know that we can do this life sober, you know? And I yes. think I mean, it, it just takes work. It takes someone to walk alongside you is definitely not a journey that you want to begin alone. Um, and I did that. I did that. I started alone because people didn't believe that I could be sober because I said I, I was going to stop drinking so many times before. So when mm-hmm. I finally made the decision, they will call and be like, you still not drinking? Huh? I'm like, nope. And that's the thing. Like, even if you have to isolate yourself until your no is strong enough, yes, I would do that too. Because the moment you go around those people that you've taken tons of shots with, they're going to just kind of look at you. And if your no isn't strong, it's probably going to be a situation where you're like, man, just give me the shot. Because it's just easier, you know? Yeah. Then people looking at your face like, like you crazy. Now they're looking mm-hmm. at you like you're weird. But it's, it's definitely like it's most important to take it one day at a time and to celebrate your small wins. And if you know you're drinking seven days a week to not drink on Monday, is something to celebrate. Absolutely. And then how would you, so when you talk about celebrating your wins, what's a great way to celebrate? Is it, you know, just saying, you know, for me, let's just say Darcel, you did such a great job. You made it through today. So like an affirmation or is it like, hey, you know, we're going to, you know, get ice cream today or we're going to buy a new book or what is a way to celebrate your wins? It's so funny you said ice cream because that's exactly what it is. It's ice cream. <laughs> I love ice cream. <laughs> I love ice cream too, but it's just, you know, rewarding yourself because for so long, especially as women, we take care of other people. Absolutely. So even if you have to go do something simple for yourself, like go buy yourself mm-hmm. some ice cream, go buy yourself some new book, go get your nails done. Heck, mm-hmm. just get out of the kids, getting out of the house with the kids for an hour or two is just, it's a reward, you know, and mm-hmm. just have the silence to just kind of get to know yourself better. Those are the type of rewards. And the more that you celebrate the small wins, the more that you want them. And that's what leads to the big wins. Celebrating your small victories is what gets you to like, hey, I want to feel like this month feel, what this month feel like without alcohol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think from my personal experience, and everybody's different, but once you start to receive clarity, like your mind is clear, your skin starts to clear up, waking up without hangovers, like, like yes. girl, that's, that's the, the best. life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the best. That's the life. Not having to call nobody like, what I did last night? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, what happened? Like, girl, where does man come from? Okay. <laughs> let me tell you, right? <laughs> okay, let me tell you. Where does man come from? Uh-huh. <laughs> no, and that is so true. So, yeah. I mean, just... 
just like you said, when you get to a point where you actually have clarity and you're and you can actually say like like you say I can I think one of the things that shifted for me was um you know before when you're partying and you're drinking and you know you bring in let's say because everybody want to when it's your birthday everyone want to give you shots this and this and that it's your birthday and I started to make a decision that I actually want to remember my birthdays and so that to actually be sober on my birthday and just say, I actually want an experience that I can remember and not something that like you were saying, what did I, girl, what did I do last night? And how many, I don't even know what happened. You're you're like literally not even remembering your own birthday and the memories that you could have created. So like you said, just having clarity and a clear mind and being able to, you know, remember things. And, you know, all of those things are just so priceless when you get them back and you make that decision to get that back. Being present for your cho- Oh, my gosh. Being present. Yeah. Being present is the most beautiful. Oh, my gosh. It's so mm-hmm. rewarding to just be present for your children when those mm-hmm. children, because they, they see, they, they see, they see your habits now. They, they, they see, yeah. they see <laughs> you. But the moment those kids look in your eyes and say, I'm so proud of you. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the best. That's it. That's it. Like I'm so proud of you. When you know that you're becoming a better role model for your children, yeah. not only your children, your little cousins, when you know that that family pattern is changing with you. Mm-hmm. That's a great feeling. That's a great feeling. But I think, like I said, a large part of it, like it's like to actually stop drinking. It's easy. Mm -hmm. It's I think to actually stop consuming the alcohol is easy. It's finding what you do with those feelings and thoughts that you've been running from for years. So that's where the work comes in. Yeah, I was going (laughs) to say that. So what do you do when because I think sometimes you know, people will put out there, oh, you can stop, but no one ever tells you how to stop. Or when you get the urge, you know, how do you stop? Or how do you... Uh, because you definitely get the urges. Like I tell people all the time, I definitely had my moments. Like I've literally gotten up out of the bed, went to Bilo just to rub my fingers across wine bottles. But I think you do what you have to do to protect your sobriety. When I did, when I finally did start going back to family events, if I felt myself getting weak, I would literally go in the room with the kids to play the PlayStation. You just have to do what you have to do, mm-hmm. um, regardless of what it may look like to other people. And I understand that when that thing hits you, because one of my things was I was drinking because it's something that I could do well. I never felt like I was good enough for anything, but I could drink anybody on the table. I'm good at this. So Mm -hmm. that's why I kept doing it. But what I realized is the moment that I stopped drinking is that a lot of my friendships weren't really friendships, that we were dysfunctional, and that's what we had in common. (laughs) That's what we had in common. So people start to fall off. But when I believe when those things come up, you have to be honest with yourself. And it, yeah. it's going to hurt. And the things that you learn about yourself in that moment is just like, yeah, I want to drown this. But you can't because the thing about it is if you've experienced alcohol enough, you can drink this, this tequila tonight. But it's going to be those, that same issue is going to be right back there in the morning. Yeah. So how do we work through it? No, that's that's good. That's good that you stated that sometimes those friendships and those things that um, were familiar to you 
because of the choice the choices that you made when I chose like chose to stop partying and stop drinking you know and um just that lifestyle I literally lost a lot of friends and like you said that was a hurt piece for sure <laughs> and so sometimes it makes you feel like well if I just give in then at least I can still keep them as friends, you know. But then, like you said, you had once you really made that decision that you know what, if I have no friends at all, and what I tell myself, if I just have Jesus, I'm okay with that, you know. I will be okay, and He'll give me new friends or friends in Christ. And you have to really go through that that part in your life where you may feel like, you know, I don't necessarily I feel lonely I don't feel like I have anyone you know to support me but like you said you know continuing to fill up that time continuing to reward yourself continuing to give yourself that encouragement say and make it through that day don't think about the month or the week but make it through that day is so um key and I think that really truly gets you to a point where you enjoy spending time with yourself. And I think another thing while we sometimes one fill ourselves with either alcohol or meaningless friendships is because we just want to feel, you know, we want to fill that void and fill that space. And sometimes people want to quiet that voice of what would it really be like if I was to sit here and actually have to think. Right. And so I think actually taking that time, sometimes you have to be lonely because you have to go through that time of just enjoying yourself and getting to know who you are and getting to know who you are meant to be. So that way you can go back out there and, like you said, be able to have those strong nose. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, you don't want to just you don't want to just go through it. You want to just you want to grow through it. And I think a large part of the issue is we don't want to be alone because at that point we don't have anybody else to blame. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Like Mm -hmm. once we we take away the fact that when, when you decide to heal, you have to understand that you have to own your stuff because the moment that you're keeping other people responsible, you're keeping them responsible for your healing and other people can care less whether you heal or not so you have to own it and you have to ask yourself those hard questions okay well what part did I play in this why mm-hmm. did I allow this to linger for so long and you have to forgive yourself and you have to go and have those hard conversations you've got to go and talk to daddy because what I realize is that sometimes what happened to us and the story that we told ourselves about what happened to us are two different things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, know, you know, it's two yep. totally different things. The reality of it is daddy wasn't there, but I turned that into daddy wasn't there. I'm not lovable. I'm worthless. No one will ever give me the time of day. I, you know, I added all of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I have to subtract that in order for me to heal. And if daddy is still alive, go have that conversation. And when I had that conversation with my daddy, I realized that I've been lying, lying to myself and hurting myself for 30 years because that wasn't the truth. And that's, that's a, um, a beautiful point too, because sometimes we can tell ourselves so many lies. And then even as children, we don't have the full picture. So it's easier for us to try to make up the rest of the story and that story. And sometimes it's just the lack of someone explaining it to us. I know for, you know, my personal journey, just seeing, you know, my dad and my mom argue all the time and just seeing all the differences that happened and 
abuse and things of that nature. And then later as an adult, only to really find out just so much of their stories that I'm like, wow. And all the hurt that that, that it caused me was how I was internalizing it, not really knowing the full picture. And so it's so important, like you said, as we sit there by ourselves is saying, you know, what are what are the lies that we're telling ourselves? And then if we're missing some information, how can we go and get that information so we can be able to get that closure that we need well, or to be you know, so I definitely us. think that is key. So I definitely am happy that you brought out that point. Yes. And it's a beautiful journey. It's a beautiful journey. You shed a lot of tears. But when you learn who you truly are, mm-hmm. no one, like nobody can come for you. You know who you are. Yes. It's like, yeah, like you can't come for me. It's like, I know who I am. I'm okay with my feelings. I'm okay with my thoughts. I'm okay with my past. I'm okay with my present. Like, I'm truly unbothered right now. Yeah. Truly unbothered. And that bothers people when you're really unbothered. <laughs> like, like, you know, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that bothers people. They're constantly trying to tell you, remember when? Of course, mm-hmm. I remember when. And the only reason why you know is because I told you. But uh-huh. that, that I mean, and people, people are always going to try to take you back to where yeah. you came from. So that's why I share so much of myself because by the time you bring it to me, I'm like, I already told it. Like in Faith Exactly, exactly. I'm be like, you put it out there, then y'all sure did because I'm unashamed. Mm-hmm. I'm unashamed. Absolutely, as you should be unashamed. And that's to yeah. me where true freedom is. It's when you love who you are, when you own who you are, you own your story and you know that God is so awesome and he's brought you a mighty long way. And that's truly you're walking in victory. Like you said, when you're walking unbothered and you're like, I know who I am and I know whose I am, you know, that's truly the freedom that now when that when people try to bring up your past, you like that girl, that was one part of my life. But the person I am now, you better get to know her. Right. So, you know, that that is so that's to me, true freedom for sure. And the thing about it, I wouldn't undo anything from my past, even if I was given. Someone's like, you want to undo anything? No, everything that I did made me who I am. Mm-hmm. Everything Absolutely. that happened to me made me who I am. I needed every single one of those lessons. Absolutely. Because if God knows the way that I'm that way that I'm wired and the way that I set up, I need it as much as, you know, I'm like, dang, I can be so hard headed sometimes, God. But you know what? You brought me here and now I have this, you know, testimony and now you have your testimony and now we're able to impact other people's lives and truly encourage them. And then God can truly, you know, I think that's the beauty is where God truly gets the glory out of all of it. And people can see, wow, if Ebony could be transformed. You know what I can too. You know, if Darcel can be transformed in Christ, I can too. And so that just, I think that's where God shines the most is through our, through our stories. And if you think about like the Bible and all the crazy stories that has happened, that's happened in the Bible, you know, God loves to use something outrageous and crazy. And it says in the word that he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And, you know, it's, 
you know, for some people, they're, you know, they may look at your story and like, that's crazy. How could God do that? But that's what's going to bring them to church. You know what? Let me go see about this Jesus because Ebony seems to be unbothered living her life. <laughs> and you know what? I, I need to know that God that she's serving. So that's how God yeah. gets the glory. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because I had two friends like that that I was like, hey, I don't know about this Jesus. They know because <laughs> See, see, that's how God yes. sets it up. But how can everyone follow you because you're so amazing and you have so much knowledge and you're truly helping people heal and just by sharing your personal story. And I think you said also being a substance abuse coach as well, too. How can people find out one about your services and about you just being amazing? Well, I'm everywhere Ebony K English uh, Instagram Ebony K English Facebook Ebony K English my website is www.ebonykenglish.com um yeah, that's where I can be found. And reach out anytime. My inbox, my messenger is open 24-7. And anybody will tell you, I answer, I respond to every single body. Because my thing was, God, if you see me, my people, I'll never turn away. Just give me the strength to do what you need me to do. Amen. Because I slid in her DM, y'all, and she answered. <laughs> <laughs> So it's true. It's true. She's truly amazing and transparent. And where can they also find your book? Is it on your website as well? Yes, my book is at on my website and it's also at Amazon.com. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for just sharing your story. I am just so in, I'm just in such awe and I just hope that all of the listeners and I know all of the listeners have gained so much from tonight. I hope you guys were encouraged. I hope you feel like if you're struggling with anything tonight that, um, you can truly, you can stop. You can stop whatever that is consuming you and you can make that decision today. And then also you can go and find help. You do not have to do this alone and you can be able to get into a community that is going to support your decision to change and support your decision to make a better life for yourself. So if you know someone who is struggling with sobriety or alcoholism, you can be able to uh, refer them to this podcast and so they can hear Ebony's story. And then also you can, you know, be that friend that can be able to encourage someone else and to get help and things of that nature. So thank you so much, Ebony, for sharing your story. And I know God is truly moving in your life. And I'm just so grateful for you being on this podcast and being so amazing and just sharing your light um, and your story. So thank you so much. If you or a loved one is suffering from alcoholism or substance abuse, please make sure you call the National Helpline 1-800-662-HELP. I'm going to say that again. 1-800-662-HELP. You don't have to suffer alone. Know that you have a tribe just rooting for you. So make sure that you call that helpline and get the help that you need today.
Now, don't forget to click the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. I'll be bringing you a new episode every week. Also, don't forget to follow your host, your girl, Darcel Laurie, on IG at Darcel Worlds. And, of course, you know I love hearing from you, so make sure that you send all your questions, topics, even guests that you would love to hear from at mobiletalkpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Mobile Talk with Darcel Laurie, where success is just a byproduct of who we are. Make sure to join us next week for another great episode. Until then, continue to talk and live like a mogul.